0: Welcome back to left anchor i 'm Ryan Cooper
1: and i 'm Alexei the Greek. Today we have a very special bonus episode. I have forced Ryan to do some heavy, careful reading of very dense political philosophy <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, This is my way of, of expressing the commitment of of friendship and love to to put him through this but uh, no more seriously we 're discussing a, a wonderful book by professor and philosopher Martin Hogland called This Life, Secular Faith and Spiritual Freedom. I'm sure many of you have, have heard about it. It's been a bestseller. It's had a lot of, um, a lot of lefty discourse around it, um, which is interesting because on its face and from the title, you might think that it's explicitly about um, atheism or theology. But what makes it quite interesting to me is that it it is a very ambitious book that pertains to um you know all the questions of of how we find meaning in life and, and it implicates you know everything from metaphysics to epistemology to to politics um but specifically it's 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 set forth in two parts that revolve around how we understand uh our lives and how we make meaning of our lives and the ways in which an investigation of that should lead us to certain conclusions about how to live our lives individually and collectively. Um, So part one is about secular faith and spiritual freedom. And this kind of lays the groundwork for part two, which is more about democratic socialism. So the first part is uh, the groundwork in a way for his proposal about how we should live together and the principles involved with democratic socialism. So uh, is that a fair overview, do you think, Ryan?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he has a, a, a lot of attacks, not, I a, not a guess, I would say on religion per se, but on like any conception of religion, which is based on, you know, a sort of um, either eternal, blissful afterlife, or the ideas in like Buddhism or Stoicism that the object, you know, the the way to live, you know, a, a good and happy life is just completely detach yourself from the world. And he, right. he's, he says, I mean, not in these words exactly, but like, that's just kind of a chicken shit way of doing things.
1: It's <laughs> definitely not indicative of the prose style, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I I think that's a good point. Yeah, you know the reason—the reason that this is a, a massive critique of both capitalism, and in some sense it's a critique of religion. Um, and, and I'll, I'll say what I mean by that. Yeah, is that a- anything, any system, any belief, anything that motivates us to focus on anything about uh, anything other than this particular life and my life and how to live it—the existential question of how to to make meaning out of life. And I mean, go back to. Heidegger, but then to Sartre, that existence precedes essence. And so the most meaningful thing in your life is to take ownership of how to live it. Anything that detracts from that is a problem because it uh, takes away that ability to do what makes our life as human beings meaningful. And, And he thinks that, you know, obviously capitalism does that, but whether or not there's a god is not his point actually. Yeah. He 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 puts it this way. He says we should cuz some people might say there's not a god but there should be. He says the desire itself or thinking that we should have an afterlife or should have a god or we should have anything that draws our attention to some other end rather than the end of making this life the best and most meaningful life it can be, that's a problem, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um you know, I I found myself basically convinced of of his argument there. Though I it, I don't know. I it was not exactly um how how could I put this? I was just trying to think about like what I even though I'm not a religious believer, like what what I found attractive about, you know, kind of reading the Bible or the Quran and um you know the the ideas and the sort of feelings that are that are Attractive to me, it it was not really so much about you know the idea of eternal bliss, and I think that you you definitely can say there there is an element of chicken shit uh, thinking in there that 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 it's like oh don't worry if you just do the right thing or you know in the really fucked up uh, satanic religions uh, that are worshiping the devil and mammon uh, that if you just give me money then you will have, you know, a blessed life here and you will go to heaven. Um but but when I, you know, what I find attractive about say the parable of the sheep and the goats which I know I've brought up before, um it it's not so much the 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 sort of facial like the the idea expressed there that if you do good works, uh you go to heaven and if you don't, you go into the fire everlasting. Um, it's the idea that when you are doing those good works, you are doing it to God himself in the form of helping the poor and the people in prison and, and so on. And similarly, like the idea of, you know, like what is a sort of I find emotionally resonant about the idea of the, you know, the passion of the Christ or whatever is that. It's like God humbled himself and to and became a man and I think you know in my head at least for that to mean anything, it would mean that God would have to divest himself of all of his omnipotence and and uh um you know invulnerability and actually experience pain and actually experience real death where like the 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 man who was you know more than a man. But not an omnipotent you know creator of the universe really did die and went back to you know his uh, previous state. And I think similarly, you know you could possibly say that like, you know you could believe in a soul maybe, but just sort of thinking about it as a like an abstract, probably impossible to imagine sort of future situation. and the the fact of the matter is here, even if there is an afterlife. This is all you get in terms of being alive, in terms of being mortal, in terms of, in any meaningful sense, being who you are now. Because if you are immortal, that's what's really convincing to me about what Haglund is saying. If you are immortal, you cannot possibly care about anything, you know, in a human sense, because nothing means anything. There are no stakes of any kind. And, um, but yeah, so I was rambling a little bit there.
1: No, that's I, not at all. That was, I think, perfect and, and very eloquently put. I, I think that captures both the strength of his arguments as, as well as, as some things that aren't necessary to his arguments or or that are complicated by the actual forms of, of religious devotion, religious belief and, and practice. Um, because as you say, you know, the point he's making is very good, which is that, and this this is throughout a, a key theme, that secular faith involves the uncertainty. First of all, it involves the certainty that, that things are finite. Time is finite. Death occurs. But also, we're vulnerable. We don't know when we'll die. We could die at any minute. Our bodies are fragile. Um, and, and we're vulnerable and precarious in a way that actually – Gives meaning, so it's not great that those things that death happens or that we're uh, that are vulnerable, but like because those uh, things exist, because life isn't invulnerable and success is, isn't guaranteed, and we don't just live forever, that condition gives us the possibility of meaning, and we can get into that uh, a little bit more. Um, but he he also says that that whether it's C.S. Lewis or Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, or various other believers that they are very. Often often exemplars of secular faith. And we could get into that as well. Yeah. But I think what he misses is that's not incompatible with religious faith because uh, you pointed out a great example, uh, even in Buddhism, which which again he says is also problematic in, in that it, it seeks release from, from this world and release from suffering. Well, he doesn't really know much about Buddhism then because for example, the Bodhisattva uh, is a being, right? A, a being that has, um, achieved enlightenment and yet the vow of the bodhisattva instead of just kind of dissolving into oneness or unity and emptiness uh vows to stay incarnated and vows to release all others from suffering and, and the vow is very interesting because it says uh, i vow to release all others from suffering and then the, the next line is the number of suffering beings is infinite the third thing is i vow to release them all and so it's interesting because it's it's actually this commitment, which which is key for Hoglund, this commitment in in this life, to to do something in the face of impossibility that concerns the beings that that are around you here and now, even if you had the option of dissolving into perfect emptiness and and uh, you know unity, right? So anyway, I think we can we can kind of table yeah. the necessity that he thinks there is for putting aside religious life. I think that's not necessary. Um, But his points still hold, I think, about making this life um, something that we think about in terms of conditioning, meaning and freedom. And um, really, he's got a great kind of entry point into how to discuss what it means to lead, lead a good life individually and collectively, right? That's what's really cool about this book, I think, is that politics is really about how we should live together. And this is like a massive 400 page argument about that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, in the second part, he defends his notion of of democratic socialism. Um, I I think, uh, yeah. I mean, he's trying to tie it into this notion of 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 secular faith and like the like living the good life and so on. Um, And I
1: should I set it up a bit? Should I set it up a bit more in terms of time and temporality? Before, yeah, sure, go for it. That might be helpful. Um, The key link between part one and part two, I think, is how temporality being finite means that, like, the conditions of of finitude and vulnerability mean that how we use our time is the most important thing there is in our decision making. And he says, like, spiritual freedom is... So let me back up. Natural freedom is something even other animals have, and and he doesn't say necessarily that human beings are the only beings that have spiritual freedom. But natural freedom is, say, uh, a goose or a seagull recognizing kind of its own self relation. So if it if it if it is experiencing, say. Uh, an obstacle to its continued survival, it's going to drive itself towards its own self-determination and try to live. Uh, other animals even have the ability to like have free time. Basically he says, unless all of your time is spent surviving, right. Then whatever surplus that you spend with your life, that isn't just reproducing your biological like continuation is, um, is a self-relation. So you could be playful. You, you, have, you have excess that you can do something with. Um, the difference for human beings, he says, is that spiritual freedom, we not only have uh, the ability to do things in excess of survival, but we can question how we should spend that time. So let's say there's a norm around how people do spend that excess time we can actually question whether that ought to be the way that we do it so the animals are going to play their games perhaps and that's kind of cute to see dolphins playing a game but what's not going to happen is there's not going to be like a dsa meeting like i don't know is that is that the best use of our time
0: as far as we know
1: (laughs) as far as we know maybe the dolphins have dsa meetings Uh, maybe are right (laughs) So, so the natural freedom is that excess past survival to, to determine your own life, and then spiritual freedom is to ask the question, is this how I should be determin- determining my life, or is this how I should be to question your, your, your very choices, right? Um, and of course, this then implicates capitalism, because any particular historical, social, political, economic structure is going to really condition and shape right? Our ability, the space of choices we have, first of all, but also uh, what we think we ought to do and, and our ability to, to contest that. So I think that might be a good setup for for the part two.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much right. And and I think, you know, insofar as he is talking about, um, you know, capitalism as being this system, which just Totally restricts the ability of people to, uh, you know, have time to do what they want to do, um, or even be able to think about, you know, the questions of what they, uh, you know, how they want to live and care for each other. Um, He's more or less on point, you know, um, because you know the 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 fact of the matter is. you know capitalism is a very uh, coercive and destructive way of ordering an economy. you know um, you have in the in the classical capitalist sense um, a, a labor market which is operates on just like brute coercion um, you know that that says, if you don't work, you will starve. And that, you know, historically has required a whole, a great deal of sort of like cultural, like stomping to eradicate the natural human sympathies between people that would be like, oh, if somebody's starving, well, shit, you should feed them. And that, you know, has been beaten out of us over the years, um, to, to create, you know, as part of this social justification, um, to create a, a mechanism whereby, you know, there is a sufficient labor pool to operate the capitalist machinery. And then sometimes there's uh, not enough jobs to go around at the same time. You know, this, uh, t- t- terribly ironic consequence of that is actually the situation. Now the jobs to job seekers, uh, ratio is it's like, um, one to five. Last time I checked something like that. um, and then meanwhile, you know, you just have the this Im- imperative for growth without any kind of, you know, consideration of the social or ecological consequences thereof. Just keep piling up that GDP, even if, you know, you're fucking cooking the biosphere with your greenhouse gas emissions. All that, you know, we can stipulate. And, um, you know, the capitalism at least... As it exists in that you know in its current form in the United States at least must be overturned if people are going to have you know that the that ability to really you know take control of their um, you know to to think about and and uh live the lives that they want to live when they're, con, you know, considered in a, in a real, in a, in a sense of spiritual faith. Um, my quibbles with, with Hogland start to come in when he discusses the details, um, as you maybe saw coming, the details of economic systems. And I don't think I agree with him on a lot of this stuff. That's the end of the preview, folks. If you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to patreon.com slash leftanchor. Thanks for listening.